As a lot of you know, we are in our Psalm Songs series, and uh, I've gotten to sit through this song twice already this morning. I'm so excited to hear it again, so I hope that you can enjoy as well. so bad and I was really, really close. But now you know, like, this is like 2002 Jesse, right? 16, 17 year old. I don't want to be just like you. I want to be different and rebellious and still have my mom pay my bills so that there's nothing to worry about. I'm so unique. That's like all punk music, right? Good morning. Happy Father's Day to everybody in the room. We all have a father. Happy Father's Day. It's going to be a fun, fun day. Hopefully, we have some fun things planned and the weather is incredible. But if you're newish, welcome to Psalm Songs. You might have wondered why you're hearing Good Charlotte on a Sunday morning. But we're in the middle of this awesome series where we're looking at Psalms and we're taking a secular song and seeing how that correlates to what we find in Scripture and just giving it a twist so that when you, if you ever hear that song again, that that's what it takes your mind back to is that scriptural, scriptural truth that we're going to look at today. But it just made, listening to that song just brought back like 
I wore a lot of like black eyeliner and my hair was jet black and it was like big skater shoes and I wanted to be Avril Lavigne so bad. And I'm so thankful that like there seemed to not be any leftover pictures from that era. I have not tracked down anybody who has photographic evidence of what it was like in that time. But I saw something on Facebook yesterday that really hurt my feelings. And it said, pop punk is the new dad rock. I know. It was very, very sad. That's how, that's where we're at. But it's great music. It's really, really fun, upbeat music with kind of a downer message, right? It's, It's the type of thing that's really fun for when you're in high school and somebody is directing your life and making sure that things are lining up for you and you can pretend to be rebellious, but it's not really great music for, for when life is actually happening. And that's kind of what we, I want to look at today, is what do we do and what are some questions we ask when, when life is crashing, when it is what this guy is saying. He's saying, I'm looking around. I, I went to high school. I don't want to be everything everybody's telling me to be. I see people chasing wealth and they're chasing the white picket fence and they're just getting in line. And I don't want to be like you. I want to be different. But he doesn't seem to have a solution right? It's just a guy with a really catchy problem, but not a solution. So I want to look today. I felt like God showed me this place where we have two sides of that coin. What do we do? Who do we want to be when we have that deep satisfaction with the way things are going or when life is crashing? Because this guy doesn't have a plan. And I don't know about you, but if you're on an airplane and it starts crashing, that's not the time that you want the flight attendant to suddenly come out with a plan. We need a manual. We need direction. It's before the plane starts crashing, before hopefully, and it never does, you have a flight attendant get up and say, okay, people, in event of an emergency, these are your exits. That's where you're going to go. The thing is going to fall from the sky. This is what you need to do. So this morning, I just want you to consider me your flight attendant. All right, you've come in here. Hopefully, Things are going pretty smoothly, but that's not always real life. Sometimes we're coming in and and things may be okay, but they feel dry. Or things may be okay, but there's some relationships that we wish were different. Or things may be just great, but we know that there will always be trouble in this world. So I'm here as your flight attendant, and we're going to show you the manual and what we're going to do in times of trouble. We have two guys who have done things differently. So we're going to be, if you have your Bible or you want to look it up, we're going to be in two different places. The first one is Psalm 62, and I'm using the ESV. It's called the English Standard Version of the Bible on that one because it's kind of word for word, and I think it's really rich in this case. And then the other one we're going to look at is a guy in 1 Kings 19. So if you want to switch back and forth, we'll have them on the screen, but you can also get those ready. Now, Psalm 62 is a psalm from David. That's, that's our guy. Now, we all know, if you're, if you're familiar, David is a guy who knows about the struggles of life. He spent most of his time either fighting giants and having people tell him he's too short, he's too young, he's too everything, or his best friend's dad is trying to murder him, or his sons are acting totally wild and out and crazy, or another son's trying to kill him. It's just, it's not, or he's at war. 
he's, most Psalms are like a super high and super low. Like, Lord, everything is crashing. I want you to just come down and just wipe out my enemies. Just crush them from the earth, Lord. That's what we need here. You're just going to have to save me. Or I am in the pit of despair. I've sinned against you, and I need you to save me, and don't leave me. And then like one chapter later, it's like, sing to the Lord a new song. Praise God. He has saved me. He has put me in the cleft of the rock. He is so good. This psalm is actually neither one of those. This one is more of a teaching that we get from him. It's, it's like that, like a manual. Now, some of you maybe, maybe have given a gift today, um, given Father something that came with, with instructions. It came with a manual. If you're anything like my husband, the manuals at my house, uh, they go to a drawer and they never see the light of day. It's more like a guideline. We don't really need the rules, right? We can figure this out for ourselves. And if we can't, you know, it looks better that way anyway. We didn't want it to look correct, right? We had a, um, a popcorn maker, like a movie theater, really cool popcorn maker for a couple years at our house. And it was like really, and it had like a little handle. It almost looked like a carnival. And it had a little handle, and then you could like pop the wheels up and drive it around to wherever you wanted and then put it down. And you could have movie theater popcorn. And we love movies, and, and we like eating popcorn and doing the whole thing. So we thought, this is so great. So it comes, and you know, as soon as we open something, the manual goes flying, and I go and find it and shove it in a drawer somewhere. But it wasn't until... We tried to use it a couple times and eventually tried to, to, to go somewhere with it that we realized that um, someone may have put it together backwards. So instead of being able to just like pop up the wheel and drive it around, the wheel was in the front and then the little post feet were in the back. So if you really wanted to move it, you could like pick it up and kind of push it this way, but it wasn't really worth it. So then we just left it where it was and it didn't get a lot of use and we ended up getting rid of it. So that's, that's kind of what you get when, when you just go with like your gut decision. When we don't want a manual and we don't really look at it until things are, are going wrong, you, you get what you get. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work. Maybe it'll look backwards, maybe it'll look awesome. Who knows? Lord save us from being people like that with scripture, right? We don't, we don't want to treat the Bible like a manual that we only check in an emergency. We have to start there. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or you want to follow along up here, we're going to read David's Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are delusion. In the balances they go up, but they are together lighter than a breath. 
Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set your heart not on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. So there you have it. Now, whatever we've come in here with a nagging worry or dissatisfaction or a crisis or things are going along, this is the psalm, this is the manual that we're going to put in our back pocket. David's written a how-to on how to get through hard times. So he is on top of it. Now, like I said, a lot of psalms are really up and down, and David went through a lot and I really think like this psalm, I, I think of it as more of like a mature David. This is a David who's been, he knows now. Like he's been through the stuff. He's been at the bottom and he's seen God save him over and over and over again. And so now he's telling himself what to do and he wants to tell Israel what to do so that they don't make any of the mistakes that he made. But on the other hand, I want to introduce you or draw you to one of what I consider the original punks of the Bible. Okay, his name is Elijah. Now, I consider Elijah a punk because he considers himself very anti-establishment. He's very dramatic. He's really emo. Everything is like the worst or the best. And he's always like, I am so alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody is like me. It's all on me and I'm not going to be like everybody else. Because at this time that we're looking at in 1 Kings, he, does, he is being like everybody else. He's a prophet of the Lord, and Israel has like completely turned their backs on following the living God because they have had several kings, but right now especially one of the most evil kings and evil queens in their history. We have King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and they get the people of Israel sacrificing to the Baal and Asherah and, and, and doing horrible, horrible things and completely destroying and desecrating the markers of God and the identity of God. It's like if this was a Disney movie, it's like if you could take Jafar from Aladdin and then you could take like Maleficent, but not like good, like new Maleficent. I'm talking like old Maleficent, like scary dragon Maleficent. That's Queen Jezebel. And then you like make them bad times a hundred. That's what we're dealing with here. That's what Elijah is up against. So in 1 Kings 19, we're going to turn to that. Elijah has just come through one of the most incredible encounters with God and one of the coolest miracles you'll ever see in chapter 18, and you should definitely go check it out. But basically, he goes to Israel and he says, look, you guys have to make a decision. Either you're going to follow the mainstream and you're going to follow society like our song and you're just going to do what everybody else is doing or you're going to turn and follow the one true God and you're going to do the right thing. And they have a test between the, the God of Baal with all of his 450 or more prophets and then you have just Elijah and the living God and the living God comes through and the people turn back in worship, and then they get rid of, kill, all of the false priests, okay? It's not a chapter that's great for children under 13. It's definitely more rated RPG 13 on the violence scale. But in, King, in 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah face his tough time. We're seeing 
David deal with something in Psalm 62, and now in 19, we see Elijah struggling. So let's look at verses 1 through 5. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So here we have two totally different approaches. Two godly men, right? You don't have to be um, ungodly to sometimes forget to do the right thing when life is crashing. We have, but we here we have a guy who's done the wrong thing and the right thing and he's written down this manual to remember. And here we have a guy who's going through something and he's struggling with it and he's afraid and he is exhausted and he feels alone. So if you're a note taker, I have three questions for us that I think we can look at and that I, that I think it'd be good for you to keep in mind. Number one, as we go through um, hard times, who are you listening to? Now, in the case of Elijah, he has just seen God do this incredible miracle. He has set, he set everything he could against God, and, and God did the miracle. He made it as hard as it could possibly be. He has seen God change the hearts of a nation, and, and they're ready to turn. But when Jezebel comes in and says, I am going to kill you in 24 hours if you don't leave town. He is terrified and he runs. Because Jezebel is not stupid. She probably knows that the people right now are with Elijah because he just showed them who the true God is. If she really wanted to kill him, she could have just killed him, right? but she can't afford the people to revolt against her. She's in the midst of a delicate revolution. So what does she do? She takes the head off of their leadership and she threatens him. And because of her reputation and who she is, he believes her and he hears that lie, that voice of Jezebel and forgets the power of God and briefly forgets that God can save him and that God has saved him. He believes he's a failure, he's had enough, and he just wants to be taken off the earth. Or you have David who waits in silence. I think that's so interesting. He says that twice, that he waits in silence. He, he's telling the truth. People are trying to take me out. People are lying about me. They're trying to demolish my leadership. They're smiling in my face. And then they're talking about me behind my back. But my hope is in God. He tells the truth, but what do you not see? You don't see him worrying. We don't see him spiraling. We don't see him calling up his friends and telling them how bad things are so that they can pat him on the back and make him feel better. There's no gossip here. It's like this incredible encouragement to yourself sandwich. He starts with the truth, 
My hope is in God. I'm going to wait for God. He says what the problem is, and then he repeats the, what he just said in the beginning. My hope is in God. I will wait for God in silence. Can you imagine if we did that? Like if you were having a problem, like a relationship problem or a work problem or a financial problem or just a worry, like what if instead of just letting it stick with you and swirl with you and, and chewing on it and talking about it with other people, we start with truth, we tell God the problem, and then we leave with truth. There's so much power in the Bible when you see things get said twice. It means that they matter. David understands. He said in verse 8, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, which reminded me of 1 Peter 7. It's just like Peter saying, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And cast is not like laying it down where you can kind of pick it up. It's just like casting like we think of with fishing. You are throwing it. You are giving it to God, and then you need to leave with the truth, because like he said, God is our fortress. When we run to God and we give him our concerns and we give him a, our anxieties, he is that strong fortress that we are safe behind. Those walls where things can't get us because we trust in the living God. The only way that changes is if we open the door and go back and worry about it and talk about it and play with it. Who are we listening to? Number two, where are you running? When things get hard, where do you run to? We see Elijah, he's gotten this, this death threat, this notice that he's going to be executed if he stays in town, and he immediately runs for the desert. Instead of running to God, he runs to the middle of nowhere. And I used to read this and think, what are you thinking? You just did this incredible miracle. And then there's a, you, you pray and rain comes for the first time in three years, another miracle. And then you run in front of a chariot for like 50 miles, another miracle, miracle after miracle after miracle. And then you go to sleep and the next day you find out this girl said she's going to kill you if you don't leave town. And you freak out. But isn't that kind of what happens when we get tired? I felt like God started, started drawing me to this story into Elijah in the, in the middle and the end of May. Now, my house, May, is like a crazy time of, of the year. It's always bananas. I have three birthdays in my family in a 10-day span. We had the end of school. You want to do all the activities. You're going to go to the performances. You're going to graduate kindergarten. You're going to graduate the fifth grade. You're going to graduate the eighth grade. you got to get the teacher a flower pot and say, thanks for taking care of my kids. Can't wait till you're back. You know, whatever it is. And... And I felt myself feeling dry toward the end of May. And I know that it was because as things got busier, I let them crowd out my time with God. Like I would go back and I'd like read a snippet or read a devotional, but I wasn't spending time with God and having rich time with God like I would want to. And I felt myself feeling dry. And it's when we start feeling tired and feeling dry and getting weary that those voices and that those lies start telling us to go to the wrong place. Elijah's exhausted, depressed, and scared, and he isolates. And that's not what God has for us. 
right? David does the opposite. He runs to God immediately with this problem. He tells himself the truth. God's my fortress. God's my salvation. God is the truth. And that none of the other things can save him or satisfy him. He lists them to himself. He tells himself, yes, these things are bad, but people are just a breath. These people are trying to take me out. In the grand scheme of things, they're just a breath. They don't matter. Their opinion of me does not matter. Wealth, no matter how it comes, does not matter. My safety is not in that, but I will run to the Lord. He doesn't call the he doesn't call money bad. He just points out in people that but we can't set our hearts on them. It's like Joshua and Elijah both went before the people of Israel and they said, you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. You have these idols of the people around you or you have the one true living God. Now, those to me are like really obvious. I don't want to do the, the fake idol. I want the real God. Like, that's not hard. I don't want Dr. Thunder. I want Dr. Pepper. It's not a hard choice, okay? But when Jesus invites us to set aside idols, he gets more to our hearts. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The people that we live amongst who aren't saved don't bow down on their faces very often to false physical idols, but we see this temptation to bow down to wealth and the pursuit of wealth. And Paul tells the church of Galatia in Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because another idol can be who likes you, who respects you, who thinks highly of you. When you walk into a room at work, do people want to hear what you have to say? That can be a security blanket. When I have my friendships around me and everybody loves me and things are going great, then that can be a security blanket. I feel safe because people love me. And Jesus and Paul are reminding us that these are idols too. Anything that we are choosing security in over the one true living God who is our strength and our fortress and our salvation, he's drawing us away from. Don't run there. Run to the Lord. And then number, true, number three, what is the truth? Who are you listening to? Where are you running? And what is the truth? Psalm 62, 11 and 12 at the end of this chapter said, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, which means it is so important, that the power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. He finishes it up with the truth. God loves me, God can handle anything, and God is in charge of the results. My job is to walk it out. My job is to obey. My job is to run to God and not let everything else take me down. God loves me. God is all-powerful, and God will take care of it. And that's the thing that Elijah forgot in his fear. 
when we get busy and overwhelmed, remembering to check the story and check the track that's running through our heads is hard. Waiting in silence, I think, is one of the hardest things because I am not a wait in silence person. I am a wait in talking person. I'm going to wait by talking to all the circle of my people and be like, this is what's happening. What do you think God is saying? What are we going to do? What should I do? They tell me something. Go to this other person in my circle. It's so awful. This is what's happening. What am I going to do? Make me feel better. And then I go to the next person like, this is so terrible. Things are happening. What am I going to do? Help make me feel better. And I justify it because they're all Christians and they may be giving me or trying to give me really godly advice. But David's saying, I'm going to wait in silence. I don't need to hear what all these people are going to say. I need to hear what God's going to tell me to do. I don't need to worry this problem and worry this problem so it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. My whole life is about this hurt or this trauma or this problem. Is it real? Yes. Is God my salvation? Yes. What is true? God's going to take care of it. So when we go towards the end of Elijah 19, he's, he's asked God to take him off the planet. And the next thing that happens is an angel of the Lord shows up and gives him some bread. Because God knows that when we are tired, we need the bread. We need the carbs. We need the strength. And we need a nap. Elijah eats. He takes a nap. The angel comes back. Elijah eats. And then the angel says, you need the strength for the journey. And then Elijah goes to meet with God. And God is so faithful. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's like, everybody sucks. Everybody has left. Nobody loves you anymore. I am the only one left. There's nobody but me, which by the way, he knows is not true. But he's a drama queen, okay? And I'm all alone. Now they want to kill me, and I don't know what to do. And so God gives him the gift of his presence. And then God tells him this. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahala to secede you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God does not shame Elijah for leaving his people when he gets scared. God restores him. God gives him his presence God reminds him of his purpose, and God gives him a partner. Because that's what we need. That's the gift of our church family. That's the gift of mornings like these. We get to come and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and reminded of the purpose that we have in this short life on earth and that we are not alone. And that God is not here to do anything but love us and welcome us and teach us and send us to even better and more on our way. As I was thinking about getting to speak on Father's Day, um, I remembered one of my favorite stories about Pastor Joe, my dad, which was, um, as you heard from the song, like I was really into like a rebellious, I'm gonna be so different stage when I was 
coming up to the age of 18. And when I was 18 and graduated high school, my dad asked me to go to a Bible college for a year. He had gone to Bible college to become accredited for to be a pastor, and it was a really good experience, and he thought it would be really good for his kids if you just go for one year and learn about the Bible, and it'll be great. The thing is, this is a Mennonite Bible college, so there's like no makeup, no fingernail polish. Don't listen to anything but like gospel, Christian music. And it was a lot of rules that I didn't love, but I said I would follow them because I'm doing this thing. But um, about halfway through the year, a couple of friends and I got caught uh, listening to Ludacris on our Walkmans. You guys are familiar with Luda. Okay. So somebody found my idiot friend's CDs that she left out and they listened to it and were absolutely horrified because Ludacris was at a rough time in his life and saying some things maybe he shouldn't have said. And the staff of the church was hor- or the staff of the school was horrified and didn't know what to do with us. How could these girls listen to this? And um, they, they pulled us in one by one. I remember I had to meet with the dean of students and my dad was kind of a big name. Like he, they brought him in to speak a lot, like Joe Wood's daughter, oh my gosh, listening to Ludacris. And, um, they brought me in and just were distraught. And, and um, the dean uh, said, I just couldn't believe it was you. I just couldn't believe that you were listening to this music. It was such a disappointment that Joe Wood's daughter was doing that. And I was horrified. Like, I didn't cry right there, but it was not good. And I had to call my dad and um, I had like a calling card, you know, I had like minutes on it. So I'd like call him and be like, call me back and hang up. And then he had to call me so he didn't burn any of my minutes. And I called him and he thought it was really funny to answer the phone and be like, what'd you get in trouble for? And so I called him and he's like, did you get in trouble? Are you getting kicked out? And I was like, I might be, call me. And hung up really fast. So he called me back and I told him what happened. Listen to this music. They're really upset. They're horrified that your name is involved and stuff. And I told them that they said they were disappointed in me. And I'll never forget what he said. And I believe this is something God wants to say to someone here, to everyone here. He said, I am not disappointed in you. And God is not disappointed in you. Because that would mean that God was surprised that you did what you did. And God knew God has loved you. He has formed you in your mother's womb. He has planned for you and he loves you and he has made a way for you and he wants the best for you. But he is not disappointed in you. So don't you ever wear that on your back. No matter what you have done, Luke 15, Jesus told us that the prodigal son was trudging to go home thinking, I have done the worst things I could ever do. And maybe if I'm lucky, he'll let me be just a slave, a servant in his house. And God, the father sees him coming from a long way off in Luke 15. And what did he do? He jumped off the porch and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and said, you're home. You're here. I wanted you to come back. Let's have a party for you. 
that's you this morning. I don't know if you are someone who has only ever heard of God or seen God as, as a judge with a hammer or, or as someone who is, who is just so distraught and so disappointed in all the, the failures and the fallings, but that is a, this is a God who forgives and who loves and he wants to pick you back up when you fall down. God runs to you. God wants to comfort you. God will forgive you. God will provide for you. God delights in you. He has plans for you. He will do and he has done whatever it takes to save you. All we have to do is turn around and look toward home. So we have our prayer team up here. And if you've been here, you know this is something we do every week. We want to pray together. We are a family. And the Bible says that when two or more are gathered in my name, there my spirit is. Jesus is here. And there is healing and there is forgiveness. And there is, is encouragement when we get to pray together. So as you come to your feet, we're going to sing one more song. And I want to encourage you as you come to your feet and we sing one more song. There you go. You might be going through something this week and you just need a little bit of extra encouragement. You might have a health issue and you want like that extra prayer, knowing somebody is with you in this. Or maybe you are like me, like I was, a child afraid of a disappointed father, only to call and find out that he loves you so much and he just wants to pick you back up and hug you and bring you back on your way. So I invite you, if you've never taken that leap to surrender and give your life to a God who loves you, who sent his son to die on a cross for you, today is your chance. Today is your chance to be restored and start over, to experience the presence of God and the partnership of our family. So let's pray. God, we just lay all of this service at your feet. We lay everything that we've brought in with us, but especially, Lord, any lies of the enemy, any wrong identity that we've been told about ourselves or that we have picked up and believed, I just, I claim gone in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just ask for healing in this place and we say thank you and we love you. Have your way, amen.